Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We are so glad you're listening. If you are a regular listener of the show, then you probably already know that Michael, Lindsay, and Evan are deeply engaged in the United Methodist Church. And this week, they decided to go down the rabbit hole of what's been going on in that organization for the last couple of years. If that sounds boring or irrelevant to you, hold on a minute. You might be surprised about how engaging this topic might be. If you have ever been part of an organization that has struggled to find unity or to navigate through diverse opinions, well, there's a good chance you'll find something useful in this talk. Here to talk about it in more detail are Michael McCord, Evan DeYoung, and Lindsay Geist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast. I'm Evan DeYoung, and I'm here with Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Great to be together again. What a wonderful day it is to record a special episode about the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. Now, here's oh. the deal. I know, I know. You're going to be okay. <laughs> You're so excited already, Michael. <laughs> You're the one who wanted to do this. <laughs> Way to call me out. But hang on, if you're not interested in this, you think you're not interested in this, this is really just... If you think you're not interested, <laughs> if you, think you're you not, will be. <laughs> you will be, because talking about, we're using the general conference and what's happening in the Methodist church as an example of what's happening in all of our society, where people feel like they're just positioned against each other. There's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, like you're having to choose right and wrong all the time, good and bad. And uh, so many of us are stuck in the middle and don't know what to do. That was a perfect introduction. So, Michael and Lindsay, before we jump in, just tell me what General Conference is for those who might not be aware and what its function is in the Methodist Church. And I think that'll probably be all the setup we need to jump right in. Well, briefly, it is the legislative body of the United Methodist Church, which spans 40 countries across the world. And it's a gathering that happens every four years for us to determine the next four years of how we live together. So ways in which we organize the church or we create new positions or new mission statements, or we set disciplinary rules for, for how clergy should behave or how lay people should behave. And um, we, we discuss contemporary theology and how we apply it. And, and, and what's important in this one is for, 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 generations now it seems at least generations of clergy the the general church has been trying to discern a way forward around issues of human sexuality and and we've reached this impasse uh it seems uh really stating back to to probably 2016 where there really was this thrust that we couldn't live together anymore people who wanted to be fully inclusive of LGBTQI plus individuals, and then people who did not, who wanted to ensure that the church didn't ordain or marry people uh, who identify um, as LGBTQ plus. Um, and, and so we've been trying since then to hold a general conference where we could make these decisions to basically decide a divorce as an organization. And that has been precluded by the pandemic, where it turns out you can't put a thousand people in a room from all over the world for two weeks to make important decisions about the director, the direction of the church when there's a global pandemic. And, and so 
we've reached sort of this impasse and frustration. Does that does that cover it well enough? I think that's a pretty good summary of the whole thing. Um, I think that we, the United Methodist Church is at a place where they probably need to make a decision about uh, how to divorce well. Um, but we've spent a long time um, trying to figure out if there was a way that we could mutually stay in relationship together. Um, there are still some people that want to continue to work on the relationship. Um, and then there's a lot of people that are really hurt and said, I think we're done with this relationship and how can we move forward? Um, so that's partly what makes all of this so complicated is uh, how each, uh, how different people want to move forward and how their perspectives of what is the healthiest and best way to move forward, what that looks like. Um, and when you don't have everybody on the same page about that, um, it can be really complicated. And, and, and it is inherently complicated by the fact that there's 40 countries, all of which have very different laws and regulations around human sexuality. Some, mm -hmm. some of those countries, if we became a fully inclusive church, would be, we'd become an outlawed denomination. We would, we would mm -hmm. be forced out and our, our bishops could face imprisonment, right? So, so there's some real implications, physical implications um, that these decisions make. And that's, you know, and you know, all these different languages trying to meet and make these, these really difficult decisions. It's, it's, it's a very complicated issue. I think why it's so important to talk about right now is because is one of the things that drew me to this church, other than sort of growing up into it, but what, what drew me to, to connect myself in the form of ordination to the United Methodist Church was our diversity. It was our diversity of point of view and, and both theology and, and, and also in politics. Uh, I think one of the one of the examples we often use is that we're the United Methodist Church is the church home of Laura Bush and Hillary Clinton and two families, mm -hmm. two, two political dynasties in the United States who, who could not be further removed. Well, turns out now maybe he maybe they're a little closer than we thought they were, um, that you could actually become further apart. Um, but but they both were very active members of the United Methodist Women and, and the United Methodist Church. And um, and we held those things together. And that was to me, always the beauty of the church is that we, uh, I think there's a phrase, John Wesley uh, is, is, uh, is quoted as saying, if your heart is as mine, take my hand. And, and I think what that alludes to for us is that we may not have to get all the stuff in our head fixed and all the rationale behind our theological stance and understanding, but if our heart is the same, that we want to help others, we'll make the world a better place to love God and love ourselves and love our neighbor um, then take my hand and let's walk together and let's do something together. And it feels like, Lindsay, we've reached a point where that doesn't feel like the predominant way of being in the church. Mm -hmm. It's more as if your brain is like mine. If your thoughts are like mine, take my hand. Yeah, I think that both in the church and the greater society right now, um, we have uh, moved into pretty binary thinking that there are only uh, kind of 
two options that that there is this polarizing dichotomy and there is no middle um and i think that it's really hard that not only do we experience it in culture around us we're experiencing it inside the church as well and i'll say that hearing uh that general conference has been postponed um, and that we will not be able to have more of these conversations again for a while. Till 2024. Till 2024. Um, I've had a lot of feelings. I mean, which should not surprise y'all at all that like me. Where's your wheel? I want to identify these. (laughs) uh, The therapist in the room uh, would say, I had all sorts of feelings about this. Um, but part of why we were we wanted to have this special episode is the three of us started talking about how many feelings started coming up around this. Um, I mean, spoiler alert, I wasn't the only one experiencing feelings around all of this. Um, and we all felt uh, some similarities and some differences. And the more we talked about it among ourselves, the more we thought, that this is probably a conversation that we should have on a greater scale with all of y'all listening as well. I'm guessing that all of us, if you're Methodist, you, you, you probably have gone through some of these same emotions and these responses and these feelings you have. But if you're a human being who's existed in the last um, two years, and you probably have gone through the same kinds of feelings of uncertainty and I mean, just it, for me, I get the, the whole range. Like, I mean, it is, it's sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's uh, lots of frustration, um, sadness. It's a real sense of grief, grief and loss. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also always, there's some like sliver of hope that something will come out of this that will be better mm-hmm. than what we're in now. But, but I think right now, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of sense of loss loss of movement mm-hmm. loss of time loss of relationships loss of mission all those kinds of things yeah you have both used the term divorce in your mm-hmm. description is there a reason you use the term divorce instead of schism isn't would schism be the isn't there like a whole word just for this yeah we have a we, we <laughs> Yes, you are correct. We we religious people of all stripes are really good at dividing ourselves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, divisions in religious communities are what has led to a bunch of denominations. I mean, there are major pivotal issues in almost every denomination at some point that then creates a schism, and then there's new denominations. this has happened for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So having some issue that is dividing us and creating something new and separate uh, is not new. And it's Um, not necessarily bad either. No, no. Um, I, I use the word divorce uh, when it comes to all of this, partly because divorce is relational. And there is an active relationship uh, between two parties that then you have to figure out how can you live together, not live together, co-parent together, 
uh, well or poorly. Um, and so the image of a marriage and a divorce is what feels really, I mean, just relatable mm-hmm. for yeah. me. That it's I, not, there's not like a clean break. There's not schism. I think we often look back and and believe or perceive that there was a really clean break. Um, oh, sure, yeah. A divorce uh, seems to encompass that it was probably a little messier and that people were in relationship trying to figure this all out. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that idea of like schism is a is a retrospective look at a breakup. I mean, it 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 these churches that have denominations, you know, the Catholic Roman Catholic Church gave birth to the Church of England. They broke away. Church of England gave birth to us when we Methodists broke away uh, to serve the new colonies. Um, and, you know, there's this there's this history of, and then even the Methodist Church here in in the U.S. we 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 split over slavery. And then we came back together and reunited as as one denomination. So mm-hmm. it looking back at all those, it's easy in the history. Like when I was in seminary and we we studied these these moments of schism, you know, it's it's easy to to sort of say, oh, okay, but it happened, and and here's the fruit that was born out of it. And but but to actually live in one in in both both I think to live in one in our denomination in our home our. our a religious home or faith home, but also in our, our, our country also feels the same kind of schism happening there. I think there's not a better word to describe. I've, I've myself have never experienced divorce. Um, but I have been with lots of students and, and couples when they have experienced divorce And this, I think specifically for me, because this may come to you as a surprise. I'm a bit of a centrist. I love, I just love people. And if you, and I have friends, great friends, and who are on both sides of this particular issue, just, just as in political life in the, in the country, I have friends on both sides of the issues and I want to live with both of them, but it feels like for me that I'm having, especially as an ordained person, having to choose a parent. Yeah, t- you guys are ordained, which means that you've gone through a training a and vetting process to have certain certifications and qualifications within the church. How how do you how are you feeling about this? Having invested a large chunk of your life to it. Well, I think there's the practical side of like you said. I've given 22 years to an organization that from my vantage point in a great deal is being split by people who are retired or near retirement. So, so I'm at the early part, earlier part or mid career. And this organization that I joined a long time ago and committed a covenant joined a, we think of ordination as a covenant, a, a commitment between the organization and us and us and the organization. And and that's where it gets really hard emotionally. You know, one side, I'm just frustrated and angry because I joined this thing. I wanted to help build this thing. I believed in it. And now these people who are outside of my control are, are, are breaking it up. And, and so there's that part. And then there's the emotion part where these are all people you love that are on both sides of the issue. And, 
and you feel like you have to choose one is and, and you have to what's worse right now in our society is it's not only like saying okay i i'm i choose Lindsay. i think Lindsay's, you know this Lindsay's beliefs are more closely aligned to mine and so i'm going to follow Lindsay's denomination and not evan's denomination and in some ways that would be easier but but what it feels like in our society right now is not only do i have to choose if i want to choose Lindsay's denomination I also at the same time have to hate Evans mm-hmm. and believe Evans going to hell or Evans wrong or, you know, Biden did this stickers or okay, Brandon stickers or all the Trump stuff that came out in the balloons and like all that, like, like you feel like you have to not only choose the right or wrong, but then you absolutely have to hate the other. In a lot of ways we have, as human beings, we do that all the time that it doesn't feel like enough to make a choice about one thing. We have to denounce and hate something else in essence to reinforce our choice. Mm. Um, I think that it's a form of self-protection that has gotten a bit out of control um, that we have such a fear of being wrong or making uh, or are anxious about decisions And so I think that we have to hate and demonize somebody else uh, to make us feel safer, more confident, or just less anxious um, about our decisions. Yeah, I absolutely, I think that it's an addiction to rightness that that rightness is more important than relationship and i go back to that that (laughs) i think i've shared it before the dr phil that i love is that do you want to be right or do you want to be happy uh and i think i think right now society really pushes us that our value is on rightness and and what gets really toxic is when you internally realize you may not be right but but self-preservation self-preservation takes over and so you have you have to just destroy the other so that you can still see yourself as right. So that seems a little opposite than what I was taught growing up in growing up in church, the in the world, but, but not of the world. Like we're supposed to shape society, not allow society to shape the church. There's, I, I, and it feels like that can just be bent to whatever your value system is and just kind of convenient. You know, everybody uses all of the quotes in whatever way they're supportive. I was reading something uh, in scripture and I read it and I was like, oh, you know, this is what I'm going through right now and this really relates to this right now. But I, I, maybe it was just an exercise in empathy. I was like, if I felt differently about this, I would absolutely think that this reinforces exactly what I'm feeling too. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, confirmation this, bias. This yeah. Yeah. If you believe you're right, I think that's what's really, uh, really challenging in our environment environment right now is if if I if I believed that Velveeta was in a strategic takeover of all cheese products and that's just what i believed then i could go on facebook 
and start to see storylines that line up with it. Just, I'm just making some outlandish idea that I've created. Lindsay's looking at me mm-hmm. like Michael's lost it. But that's how it starts. Like you like, oh, I believe Velveeta is the, the who people, I don't even know who makes Velveeta. But but it, they're out to take over the cheese market and they're destroying. And then you'll start to see feeds. And because you search it, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram will start to feed you stories about the thing that you're interested in. And then you read these stories and it, it's confirmation bias. And it becomes these people are, you, you hear these stories. Okay, they must be true. Oh yeah, here's another story. Oh, it must be true. And, and so then you have this belief system that has never really been challenged and you have all this pseudo evidence that you've encountered across social media and, and even the media now uh, that, that may or may not be true. And then, and, and then we end up in the situation of, uh, of demonizing the other and our inability to be wrong. So looking towards what's happening and it sounds like it's inevitable based on the tone and conversation that we've had so far how do you keep going forward how do you do your job i mean you got it's like it's so it's it's i mean you have okay for most people you you go to work and you say okay you pay me for the time that i spend here to accomplish a task and if it were something I would do for free, we would probably call it a hobby. And most people just hope and pray that there's some overlap between what they like to do and what they get to do for work, right? But you have shaped your whole life around this kind of career situation where you not only have an occupation that you follow, but you've like committed to change parts of your life around this, like your conduct, your behavior, what you do. I mean, it's it's... I've I've had conversations with some folks who are like working in the church is very invasive. It invades your privacy. You have to give up yourself. You you don't get to you know you you have a code of conduct and ethics that you have to follow inside and outside of work times. Like it just seems exhausting. So to give that level of commitment to this and then to have it not be working out, or that it's stressful every time you go. Well, I mean, I just don't. I can't. It's different for me because I haven't made that. That like that's not my commitment level to the organization. Well, I would just say it's not unlike other service industries, like people-centered industries, like teaching, uh, both in both in grade school and college. Like when right now in public school, there's there's a big exodus of teachers because of of the challenges faced in COVID and um, just chronic undervaluing of people and ability to lead, and then poor leadership, those sorts of things. Um, just systems are changing. Same in healthcare. I mean, there's a big nurse exodus. Um, and, you know, it's interesting among all of those clergy, teachers, nurses, um, all of those who, who are uh, in, this, in, in that people kind of service industries, that all of us, research after research is that, that we don't do the job. Be- like, if you pay us more money, we don't have greater satisfaction. It's, it's our valuation of ourselves and our community and what we get to do. That's what drives us. And, and so this kind of loss of valuation of us as people and our ability to have power and say in the future and this kind of internal animosity towards each other, it exists in teaching, exists in nursing right now, exists across the board in, in politics, public servants who, 
who want to be who've given their life to to leading the country and their communities, they too are facing the same thing. And so all of us are in the same boat about trying to figure out, you know, we've hitched our ride to this thing that we no longer really know that we believe in. And that's, that's, I think that's a really painful realization. So, yeah, given that we probably can't change the trajectory of this giant global organization, right? And, and, and many of us will find ourselves in a position like this, this exact one or similar to it multiple times in our lives. How do we handle that? Like, what do we do? What do actions and behaviors look like? How do you manage the feelings and the emotions where you want to make change, but you don't know? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself now, (laughs) where you want to make change and you want to help. You want to figure it out. Excuse me. This this is where we need a counselor here who can just tell us (laughs) what we need to do Uh, in moments of uncertainty like this. I love how how y'all act like there's like a five-step model and then ta-da, we fixed it. Um, I, it is hard to balance the fact that, uh, we cannot fully control the future and the change. I know it's shocking, isn't it? Um, it is so hard to balance the fact that, uh, we can't control the future, but we could have influence over it. And so, it, it makes us feel sometimes powerless mm-hmm. uh, that we don't have absolute control. Because mm-hmm. uh, again, we come back to this all or nothing uh, kind of thinking. We either need to change the whole thing, revolutionize everything, have it exactly the way we envision it um, or not. We don't do ambiguity well. Mm-hmm. And so I think the other part about... <sighs> all of this, um, the future of Methodism, but this addiction to rightness um, is that we are so uncomfortable with ambiguity that we attempt to do anything to resolve it. Mm. And newsflash, we can't always resolve it. It, it makes me think of the serenity prayer mm-hmm. that, that AA uses. And uh, this is, this is hard for that. It's a hard prayer for me because uh, I do like, I like to have control over things and I don't like to admit that I can't control things. Um, and there's, yeah, there's so much in this that you can't control. So what can you control? That's, mm-hmm. that's, I feel, I feel like I'm talking to my, my kids, you know, you can't control what kids say to you, but you can control how you how you respond to it. I mean, that's that's counseling one on one is that we don't have a capacity to control the outside world. We cannot eliminate all of the triggers that exist in the world around us. We have power and control over ourselves. And so we can choose what we do and how we react. And we can, again, we cannot change everything outside of us. I do want us to uh, feel empowered that we can influence it. Um, We don't have absolute control, but we do have influencing control. And I don't want us to ever forget that part. Mm. Mm. I think that's where I'm struggling most right now 
if I mm-hmm. if I'm completely honest, is that I will say uh, just as a, I have a place of privilege and power in the organization, mm-hmm. given my role and my length in the organization. But one of the um, advantages of of my work, I see, is that I work with people like I mentioned, like are, are the people on our team are of all different kind of theological frameworks and backgrounds and experiences and practices. And, and we are, we are an incredible team. We, and I, I think, I think I could say without, with, with some certainty that we all love each other deeply. And we have, a, we have this sense of movement and where things are going well for us um, as an organization. And, and so part of me has said, you know, my calling right now is to care for this organization and to do the best I can to protect its funding and affiliation and its staff and its people and where we're going. But that often leaves me feel like feeling as if I'm not using my influence or power or voice to try to help the bigger system because of, because I've, I guess I've realized that there's only one thing I can control and that's this organization that I've been given to lead but then I also feel a little bit powerless or, or not powerless. Like, like I'm choosing not to use my power. I think for you, you're also in, um, in a setting where you are experiencing a dialogue modeled well about people that don't all think the same. Um, And so you're able to talk to one another, respect one another, Um, I think for, there's a lot of people out there that this conversation about human sexuality is so traumatic that it is hard to stay in dialogue when you're experiencing active trauma. And so I think that sometimes when we want to everything to be resolved and done. Um, Sometimes it's addiction to rightness. Sometimes it's wanting to escape pain that I want this to be done uh, because it feels like it could be less painful. Um, And so I just, I want us to keep that in, in the back of our minds as well, that there is also a place of privilege if you're, if you're Trump, because our denomination in some ways is our home. Uh, But we have also, we're all experiencing different levels of trauma of the potential divorce um, or this uh, tumultuous relationship that's been happening over the years. And depending on what that trauma looks like for each person, uh, the resolution or desired resolution might be different. Mm. No, I, I think you have to, I, th- I think the entering into any kind of meaningful dialogue or conversation as a centrist in, 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 in life or in this church situation is, is to start with a, a place of empathy mm-hmm. and understand that, you know, it, specifically in the church, that people who, who identify as more traditionalist and those who are more inclusive and, uh, progressive, whatever labels people want to use that those, those groups that are sort of at odds with each other right now, um, both of them feel, both of them experience some form of Mm -hmm. trauma in all of this. 
and it's it goes in what what I encounter the most is when I when I engage with people on on these sides is 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 they always talk about the other side and how much trauma mm-hmm. they've caused and they don't see the trauma they've caused in reverse. Mm-hmm. We don't start with a place of empathy and honor like that that at at Lindsay's root she's a good person at Evan's root he's a good person. Do they think differently? Yes, but it you know at at starting with the place that they that they're a good mm-hmm. person is that's a really hard for us to do. Yeah, and yet we we keep using the word centrist and it's not even really I wonder if it's the right word because I think if you if you don't want to demonize folks who think differently than you and you're willing to have conversations and work with anyone because you believe that all people have sacred worth these days that makes you a centrist because you're willing to work with anyone, even if your actual beliefs aren't actually in the center. Like it, it's, it's just not, mm-hmm. cause like the answer is the truth is not in, in the center. Ways. Like that's, that's not, that's just not, that's just not how it is. If we're flying an airplane and we're at 10,000 feet and I say, we need to go up 10,000 more feet. And then you say, we need to go down 10,000 more feet, but there's a mountain at 6,000 feet. The truth is not at 5,000 feet. That is death. <laughs> And so meeting in the middle is not always mm-hmm. the correct answer, but it seems like if you're willing to not, if you just say, I, I don't think we need to fight, you know, we need to figure this out. Then everybody says, oh, well, you're just a centrist and that's not actually a position. It's like, well, no. It's true. I, that, I was I, called that earlier this week or last week. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if what we're referring to is finding shared space. Um. And again, it doesn't mean that like you fully compromise or there's like a exact middle ground. It's about searching for shared space mm-hmm. where we can dialogue and coexist well. Um, I also, with having done counseling for a really long time, especially with people that have experienced trauma, I don't want us to sugarcoat that there is always the ability to find shared space or that everybody can live in it. Hmm. I don't know if that is something that is possible for everybody. So what do we do in that camp? (laughs) That's fair. But I think, I think what we know sociologically, scientifically psychologically is that that there's this this idea of the bell curve that mm-hmm. the, the majority of the people live in the middle correct and and that there's about 10 percent or less on the fringes of mm-hmm. each belief system and no not just lgbtq human sexuality issues not not the current political issues or, or abortion or any of these hot topics but like everything like that the majority of people sit somewhere in in the middle quadrant of this of, of a bell if you think about the shape of a bell the up mm-hmm. that most people and my my experience has been in all these conversations that i've had with people for the last few years is most people i encounter live inside that bell curve but it feels like and this is both both in the church and in in our broader american society and maybe global society too is that it's these these tales of the of the curve that are driving the conversation mm-hmm. because they're loud, they're angry, and 
And so they show up where this is what I was feeling, which sharing a little bit before was that I feel like I'm in this middle and I'm frustrated. And instead of showing up, I'm giving up. Maybe what brings up so many feelings for us too, is that, I mean, we keep talking about society, like this is present so many places. And so the feeling is incredibly familiar to us that, um, of, of forgetting that the bell curve exists. And I think what's really hard for me is the place that I go to, to experience healing and truth and acceptance and a safe place from these things in society is now almost more stressful to be in than the society that I find refuge from those places. It is mirroring it so much that it might it be feels worse. extra that it feels extra painful. It it might be worse or it might just be closer. talked about right now um and closer to you. Uh because we saw lots of this in the election um and that felt um oppressive to a lot of people in those moments. Um we are now kind of in an in-between space and so I think that politics don't feel as quite as close to the forefront and oppressive in the same way. Uh, and maybe this is something that's currently the most pressing. Um, and so it's, they all share some similar themes, but it's whatever one's going to uh, kind of rock our world at the moment that seems to feel extra heightened. Mm. Or heightens us. Yeah. yeah, I I I just want to be careful to acknowledge that I think the church has always been both a safe place and a place that hasn't been safe. Mm-hmm. And that's that's always been because in essence the church is is filled with people and those people are engaged in society. They are, in many ways, the church gives power to people who are power, powerless in other places. And so sometimes that power is used to hurt rather than help. And so I think, I think the church has always been both things. And I think the church has always been reflective of and countering society. And I think we just have to recognize that that's just, that's because it's, it's, it's us living together. I think part of the feeling that comes up in me is I am disappointed at the reminder that myself and others are human. I mean, I, I don't want us. This is news to me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't want our, um, sometimes I'm just, sometimes I'm just annoyed at our humanity and our humanness. Um, that that we aren't perfect, that we do come with a lot of flaws and baggage. And I think anytime we have a big topic and uh, what feels like a binary kind of competition or split, um, 
I think I'm just holding up a mirror a lot to myself that, um, that we struggle to handle it well and we're, and there is a lot of pain involved and that we're just really human. And I think I just some days wish that we weren't. (laughs) So thinking about where we go from here, I uh, heard uh, a sermon this past Sunday from our, um, one of our pastors of the church I go to, and he talked about no matter how, um, start about the needs of, of community. And it was like, no matter how introverted you are, you, you were designed, we humans, all of us are designed and long for community, long for deep and meaningful relationships with other human beings. And I think the most powerful thing we can do in moments like this is to develop deep, meaningful, vulnerable, honest, mm-hmm. empathetic relationships with other human beings because we're not alone. That's the one thing I've realized in just, just this week, talking to leaders of both sort of factions of this split, both have this sense of despondency and uncertainty and frustration and anxiety and, 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 and loneliness that, that exists in their life. And they're leaders. They're, they're in the midst of this. And I imagine that all of us, whether it's about the United Methodist Church and our t- divorce, or it's what feels like the great divorce of the American society in both care or both together. Maybe you're feeling both of those at the same time that I think the only anecdote to that is deep, meaningful relationships with people, uh, hopefully that are, that you seek out that are different than you, that maybe see things differently, maybe because that adds the color to the world that, that maybe you didn't see before. And a reminder that making decisions, uh, a decision for um, doesn't have to mean kind of like a decision against the other thing. Well, so that's that is if there's anything we could walk away from this is to 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 declare that I think that is that's a really powerful reminder that choosing because- someone and choosing a thinking process or a theological framework does not mean that everyone who doesn't think that is evil. Mm-hmm. Or that we hate the other side, or that uh, we refuse to understand the other side. I mean, when's the last time we paused to even understand someone that was thinking differently than us? Um, and not having to in, uh, like endorse that decision ourselves, but what would it be like to just understand it? Um, and again, us choosing something, uh, choosing a belief, choosing um, a decision does not mean that we hate the other side. Unless. Or we don't understand it. Unless um, you're talking about college football, in which case that's the one exemption. In You are totally undermining our entire episode. No, no there, there, are, there are rules to this. <laughs> this is, <laughs> there are limits to my grace my friend oh goodness (laughs) yeah i think you're perfectly right i think that's a great way for us to sort of wrap this up is just to remind ourselves that choosing to be with people and choosing to build relationships doesn't mean you endorse their ideas Mm -hmm. and it also doesn't mean that people who who aren't in that are bad or evil or wrong even Mm -hmm. just 
just different. And I think that's a good place for us to start. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a right or wrong. Uh, there can just be a different, mm-hmm. um, that there's not always correct choices, uh, or wrong choices, mm. um, or easy choices or easy choices. Yeah. Um, that they're just different choices. Well, I'm glad we could solve general conference yeah, and it's all figured out. It's, mm-hmm. we, so for those Methodists and the great American society's divorce we've solved all of that today (laughs) thank you Lindsay. the zinger that i always heard growing up was remember you follow god you are not god Mm. (sighs) yeah i i just want people to take away to uh today listening to this that uh if this is stirring up all sorts of feelings in you um that you're not alone in that um Part of why we wanted this special episode is to be able to name that we too uh, have a lot of feelings, even when um, I may feel comfortable in uh, my choices uh, around some of these beliefs. It can also bring a lot of feelings, um, regardless of what the choice is. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Justin. And thank you, listener. We hope that you are well. We appreciate you. Justin Patton produced this episode and did all the music. Thanks, Justin. We love you. And we hope that you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, wherever you find yourself listening to this. And we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.